We're going to start with Perak Lamed Dalit. Like I said, I'm reading from the Kafich uh, version. So if you have a different version, it's probably more or less the same. I think that the only one that you really feel a big difference is that uh, more modern one. I forget the name of the... Is that Schwartz. Yeah, the Schwartz one, it's really, it's yeah. really different because um, Kafich tried to uh, uh, preserve a little bit of the flavor of a classic Hebrew, of a, of a medieval Hebrew in his translation, whereas the uh, Schwartz really just translated it as a modern book, like as if it were a modern book philosophy. So it's written in modern academic language, which Kafich doesn't use modern academic language. He uses cl- rabbinic language of the period of the Rambam, pretty, more or less. So, uh, so even when he uses technical terms, he uses the terms they used as opposed to the Schwartz one. I didn't really use the Schwartz one. I've only like looked at it here and there to compare. Um, I need to go through it just like one cycle, just using that one to to get you know to get a, a, more of a sense of it. Um, but I noticed. You get a good sense of it if you think that it's actually like a good translation and it doesn't steer you away from like the Rambam's like main points. Yeah. Like, you know, that would be helpful. Like, in a way, that, that's a helpful thing. Yeah. Someone like me, let's say, it's easier to deal with modern Hebrew, but again, you just don't know if you're getting, right. you know, an authentic, you know what I mean? So right. if you ever go through it and say, hey, it's actually a good translation, yeah. you get it. I mean, it's on a high level of Hebrew. It's, on a, it's, on a high, it's like a graduate level of Hebrew. It's, like, it's written basically as a philosophical text in nowadays would be written at, um, you know, for the academy, so to speak. Academy, you know, so yeah. it's still hard, right? So it's still hard, yeah, but, I, I, but hard in a different way. You know, not, not hard in the, in the way that uh, the, the kafir is a different kind of difficult, you know. Because you're not just trying, you're tr- not translating a culture as much, but you're translating the words. <laughs> so, but if you're if you're if you have a college level reading of Hebrew, then it should be it should be okay. Okay, so Perik Lamedalid Hasibot Amunot Et Ptichat Alimudim Ben Yanei Elohut Ula Ir Al Mas Shetzirich La Ir Alav Ula Gish Et Zel Hamon Chamesh Sibot. So he says that. Um, that there are five reasons why a person shouldn't begin his inquiry in knowledge in the area of metaphysics. Okay? I'm translating Elohut as metaphysics because really that's probably the best translation. I mean, uh, metaphysics means the study of things that are beyond the physical. And that roughly, that roughly corresponds to what we mean when we talk about Masim Kava. What the Rambam says, Masim Kava, which is understanding the things that are not material, uh, such as Hashem, obviously, Malachim, the soul, and so on. Those things are in the category of the metaphysics. So, uh, meta meaning beyond, and physics meaning physical, as opposed to the things that are in the realm of Masim Bereshit, which the Rambam uh, would consider physics, even though nowadays uh, people sometimes make the mistake of thinking that the Rambam thought that... Uh, that physics, the study of Masa Barishid would mean like studying physics in college or something like that. That's not really what he was talking about. His conception of physics was more like what you would call, what they used to call natural philosophy, which is uh, more of a, um, more of a uh, philosophical approach to the study of physics, almost like what maybe, you know, Einstein would sometimes articulate or speak about. In other words, understanding the nature of of physics at a bit of a deeper level. We're not talking about solving equations. Oh, about that's it, the way I 
<clears throat> well, he does it, but he also does it in a way that is uh, very difficult for modern people to re- relate to because he doesn't have the concept of empirical study or of uh, of uh, experimentation or of precise measurement or of any of the other. He's an armchair, uh, uh, you know, physics professor. He he is an arm, armchair scientist. He doesn't really... Uh, Anybody, if he had, you know, with all due respect to Aristotle, obviously, but uh, if he had had the, if he had just had the inclination to test some of his statements against the facts of reality, he, he himself would have realized they were not correct. Like believing that a heavier object falls faster than a lighter object is not true. So uh, anybody could test that by taking a really heavy item and a lighter item and seeing that they hit the ground at the same time. Obviously, if you compare a feather where there is air resistance on the way down to a book, it's not gonna, there's going to be a difference. But if you compare a very, very heavy metal bar to a book, there's not going to be a difference. So um, he could have tested that empirically and known that that theory wasn't correct. And instead, for thousands of years, people believed in it and never, nobody ever tried to test it, which is very strange. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, but it's, uh, but yeah, there is a, um, there's an element of, uh, or for example, you might find this in, in biology where there's sometimes a discussion of teleology in biology, meaning a sense of purpose, uh, a sense of purpose embedded in the, uh, in the, in the design that's observed. Um, a, a reflection on the nature of the laws and how they relate to one another, which you find in very advanced science. Uh, uh, scientists like Richard Feynman or like Einstein, like uh, others who reflect on the uh, who reflect on the the nature of of physics as a whole. That's a, really what the Rambam is getting at, more than the solution of one or another specific. Uh, problem in physics. So something like the theory of relativity is something that the Rambam would acknowledge as part of Maseb Bereshit, specifically because it's addressing the fact that time and space are created, or time and space are are uh, elements of the physical world, which ironically both the Rambam and the Ramban were aware of from Jewish tradition, actually, they 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 may you know they maintain that from the that you know that time is what you know is is a property of the physical that was something that was known to the Chachmei Israel that was something that was not known to physics until or, or, until Einstein came around and realized that time is not absolute you know that and and that that was a big chidush so uh, so that's uh, and that of course precludes time from being attributed to God in any way. So that's extremely fundamental point. Uh, that's an extremely fundamental point. And the, but anyway, we, we could, so the, the point is what the Rambam is going to talk about here are the, the reasons why a person uh, shouldn't enter into uh, the study of the metaphysics, uh, the metaphysical subjects prematurely. So as a Sibar Rishona, Koshi Atzmo, so he says, and he mentioned, you know, not to give this to the hamon also, right? To not to present this to the average person and not to start with this. So meaning even if you are, certainly not to present these ideas to the hamon am. 
to the to the average person who is not a uh, not a seeker of the truth and is not an advanced thinker, but even a person who is a thinker and a researcher shouldn't begin with these subjects. And you often see that, and he mentions it later, that people who are who fancy themselves great chachamim make forays into the area of metaphysical speculation and they end up being a disaster, like a lot of those scientists that I mentioned before. As soon as they step out of their uh, Weinberg or Feynman or whoever, uh, what's his name, the, uh, the, uh, um, uh, the one who uh, was in the wheelchair. Um, uh, I'm forgetting it. Right, Hawking, right, right, right. Hawking, so he, he uh, I forgot him because he was BDS, so I blocked him out of my uh, mind. Yemach Shemo um, Vezichro, but the, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he was an example of somebody who was uh, desperately trying to draw metaphysical conclusions from a scientific research, but his uh, attempts were totally sloppy and off the wall, and anybody who knows about the area would realize that he was overreaching. So both to Chachamim and to the Hamon Am. It says, first of all, it's very deep and, and va'adinuto means that the, the distinctions are very, uh, adinut means like being gentle, but it, it means to say subtle, subtle distinctions. Uh, and of course the Pasuk says that it's uh, in Kohelet, uh, says that this is uh, the foundations of things are too deep. Where can you find wisdom? That's from Eov, of course. Obviously, a person who is intelligent does not begin their study in the area that is the deepest area of study because that's too advanced. It's like you don't start a kid, you introduce a child to math by teaching them calculus or something like that. You have to start them with something which is within their grasp. And one of the well-known uh, analogies that is drawn in our nation is between learning and water. So the, we know that it's very famous, all the drashot about uh, Torah being compared to water. Very fa- famous. But he takes one particular angle on this. Not necessarily, although I think some of the other ones he does really... Um, uh, speak about many of the other uh, elements because Chachamim a lot of times they saw water okay because it's life giving and he mentioned that also before the taking of water and uh, and also the uh, and also the idea that water flows to the lowest point so to the wisdom comes to the most humble person I think all of those things are also ideas that he speaks about but here he says that um Miklalan a person who knows how to swim will be able to extract pearls from the bottom of the sea. But the person who doesn't know will, get, will drown. Therefore, a person shouldn't try to swim unless he's accustomed to, uh, accustomed to the study. In other words, the analogy of water is um, a person can enter into water and extract something very valuable, but he's also... Uh, without proper skill will be overwhelmed by the water and will be destroyed by the, by the water that pulls him down under instead of uh, being in control of the situation and having a target and, uh, and, and being able to uh, reach the target. He becomes the target, <clears throat> so to speak, instead of, uh, instead of uh, having a target of his own. So just like you wouldn't take a child and put them in the deep end 
of the pool before they know how to swim because they don't yet have the proper uh, skill to navigate that and they, the water will overtake them. Um, he's saying that going into these areas, a person can get lost and overwhelmed and drown in it uh, in the sense that they don't have the skill to approach these areas to have a to have a target and to uh, to to gain the clarity that they're seeking, um, they'll be uh, they'll be drowned in it. So the first issue is the issue of the depth, and it's interesting because even the word depth and the depth of the water, obviously, there's a uh, he's using that analogy. Um, uh, you know, he's carrying that analogy through the depth of the water, the depth of the subject. A person, when they're in an area that's very deep, can get lost in the area. They lose their bearings. They forget what the fundamental principles are that they were working with, or they lose sight of, you know, they get their thought becomes disorganized, or they make errors along the way because it's an overwhelming, it's an overwhelming enterprise. So, uh, <clears throat> so he says that that itself makes it difficult until a person's very skilled to be able to go, and I mean, just think about any subject. You know, when you take a kid in school, they start with very simple things, very simple assignments, very simple, uh, very simple uh, ma- to master basic skills. Um, let's say in reading, you give a kid those books that have those Bob books. I don't know if I remember those, you know? If your kids ever use those. They have like one line or three word sentences uh, on each page, and you know, they build them up to where there's maybe two sentences on each page, and then three, and then and then a whole book of like a few sentences on a page with the pictures on it. And then eventually they have like no pictures and then eventually chapter books, you know, the complexity. If you show somebody something which is beyond their level of complexity uh, that they can handle, they can get lost in it. Um, even uh, even a child to watch, you know, when they watch a show, um, if it's a short show that has short segments, they can process it. If it's a complicated uh, plot with different things going on. They will get lost because it's too complicated. They can't really follow uh, the steps of the, uh, you know, of of the unfolding uh, narrative, and they they don't really understand. It. Like a kid might watch a movie with you, thinking that they understand, but they don't really understand the story because it's very complicated. They just, you know, and and really they're getting lost. They might come away with a completely different account of what happened in the story than what you got because they got lost. There was too much information and all that. So here too, and we've all had that experience of being lost in something. You know, you're in a lecture or you're studying something in school or you're studying something on your own and you realize at a certain point, like, I'm lost. I, I got, I'm lost in this book. I'm lost in this subject. I don't know. I don't have clarity. <clears throat> I think a lot of people have difficulty in math because of that. <clears throat> well, a lot of kids, they get to a point in math where certain fundamentals were never mastered um, and then they get to advanced levels of math, and, and they come up with, "I'm not good in math." That's uh, that's the uh, that's a famous uh, conclusion. But really, it's not that they're not good in math necessarily. It's that they um, it's that they got lost somewhere. And uh, when they and and for example, for example, um, I remember in graduate school, like a lot of people had a hard time with statistics. Uh, with statistics, but actually, um, of all the math I did in college or graduate school, statistics is the most common sense of all the math. If you understand from the beginning what what statistics is doing, it's so common sense that it should be easy to follow, really, 
um, the logic of, of statistics and even to, to understand what the formulas are doing. The problem is that somewhere along the way, a person loses their bearings. They just see a lot of numbers and X's and, and, and you know, variables and this and that, and they just become overwhelmed. And they just lose their, they lose their sense of what's going on. And of course, because of that, they make mistakes or they misunderstand or they build further misunderstandings on the misunderstandings and so on. And eventually they throw up their hands and say, I'm drowning in this and I'm lost and that's it. So the subject matter is deep. That's number one. This is something which is uh, an, a chidush of the Rambam. Uh, is he the first person to have thought of it? Of course not, but meaning that he emphasizes it a lot. And uh, this is one of the ways you can see the Rambam's that the, the, in my opinion, and uh, I know there's some who agree, some who disagree, but I'm firmly a believer that the Moray Nebuchim and the Mishneh Torah are exactly the same thing, uh, meaning the, the ideas that the Rambam weaves into the, into the Mishneh Torah, if, you if you've learned the Moray Nebuchim, you immediately see them clear as day in the Mishneh Torah, but written in a way that somebody who would be an average person who might be affected and negatively by it or not able to handle it, will just overlook it. You know, like when he talks about how, uh, uh, you know, that Hashem helps the person do Teshuvah. And he says, uh, I forget which pasuk he quotes, one of the pasukim from our Tachanunim in the morning, I forget, I forget which pasuk he uses, but... Uh, uh, um, the one of the psukim from there that talks about the uh, uh, talks about guiding the person towards teshuvah, and he says, "Oh, because Hashem gave neviim and sfarim, and that He gave, and that's the that's the guidance that Hashem gives a person to teshuvah." You know, so he uh, he he makes it a uh, he makes it like basically what what the drashot of Chazal are intending when they talk about Hashem helping you do teshuvah is that the tools are available to you. Not that Hashem gets in your head and gives you a, uh, a, you know, gives you an inspiration to do teshuvah. No, that would take away the free choice of the person. What it means is that the Hashem has made available available to you the means by which to do teshuvah. That's what it means. We're talking about that. So that's something very more nevuchim esque um, that would not go well with, let's say, the from mindset of what it means that Hashem assists a person in doing teshuvah. Or if a person comes to purify himself, they help him in Hashemayim. And the Rambam says, what does it mean? It means Hashem gave you, you know, all of these nevi'im uh, and uh, so on to assist you in the process of teshuvah. I don't have the Mishnah Torah here next to me right now, but, and, but it's uh, he, he's things like that that he, that he says. And... Um, also here he talks about that what is that the the intellect of the person is the tzura of the adam hashalem bedato that uh, that the that the essence of the person is his intellect is the meaning that's true of the person who is shalem the person who has perfected himself it, for him that's true in other words the rambam is saying that only the person who is uh, who actualizes their intellectual capabilities is really human, right? And the, the other person is a potential human. Yeah, but you don't have to raise your hand. Just, just stop. 
I don't want to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, regarding when you said that, you know, you're a firm believer that Mora, you know, gets uh, put into the Mishnah Torah and just in a different way where, you know, for someone who's not, you know, understanding the video, he'll just gloss it over. Yeah. Question regarding uh, for Banot, yeah. where Mora Nebuchim, uh, he talks about it as uh, a concession because, you know, people were, uh, if I'm wrong, you can correct me, but... Um, the basic idea that Corbin was a concession, right? Because people were steeped in, in, in Corbinot, so Hashem wanted to do it in a way where, you know, it would, it would to, you know, make it kosher or, or whatever. I don't know what exactly, I'm just saying, you know, basically. But in Mishnah Torah, he calls it the foundation of the world. Right. Well, it is because the foundation of the world is, uh, is enabling uh, human beings to uh, to access knowledge of God in a way that's that they are capable of relating, and so uh, in the without the um, without the institution without an institution that's designed to lead a person from their ignorance and uh, and their uh, primitivism to a stage of enlightenment, then you have no hope for humanity. I mean, it's uh, absolutely necessary. You know, the Rambam talks about that in the, in the Morning Bukhim also. Yeah, there's a beautiful part where he says, I don't want you to think. He says, this idea of Korbanot is not a diminishing of Korbanot. He says, this is Midarkei Hashem, that in all things, he guides the person along from where they, he guides human beings from the, their starting point to the end point of Yediyat Hashem, and, that, and he says, you see this from the very beginning of Yitziat Mitzrayim, B'Shalach Paroet Ha'am, V'lo Nacham Elohim Derech Eretz Pelishtim, Ki Karovu, Ki Amar Elohim, Pen Yenachem Ha'am, B'Rotam Milchama V'Shavu Mitzrayimah. Hashem didn't take them in the most direct way from Egypt to uh, Israel, because he said, maybe they're going to see war and they're going to return back to Egypt. He says, why didn't he just do a miracle and enable them to have the courage to go through? What? Oh, because you see from this that Hashem works with human beings from where they are. And even if it's a roundabout way to get to the ultimate destination of Yediyat Hashem, um, he designed a program that uh, engages human beings at the level that they, uh, at their starting point, uh, in order to facilitate their maturity uh, in understanding. So, and you see that that's true. I mean, what the Rambam is saying is 100% true, and I don't understand the critics of the, uh, of the Rambam, because the Nevi'im essentially say the same thing. I mean, the Nevi'im basically say, what is the, uh, why are you bringing all these korbanot? You're, this is not what the purpose is of, uh, uh, of the religion. You know, this is not supposed to be the focus. Even the Nevi'im say that. I mean, uh, a person would go three times a year, and uh, that's enough. Maybe, maybe a couple of times additional, but, you know, it's, uh, well, what's the, uh, what's the chidush that korbanot are not the essence of the religion? I mean, it's obvious. Anybody reads Navi, they know that. So uh, people, you know, the idea is that uh, to, 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 structure a an educational program that addresses people at the level that they are so then you'll say well nowadays you know we don't do korbanot etc etc that's what you think but when the person goes and says i'm going to read this parak tehillim for refuash lema or i'm going to give this money for refuash lema or I'm going to do, they're doing exactly the same thing. He's doing a ritual action to, uh, to appease God so that God will do what he wants. That's exactly what the person's doing. I mean, it's a, so it takes a different form. 
So you, you know, it's, it, yeah, the form is going to change. Uh, it, culturally, the form has changed, but the essential mode of it is, has not changed. So you say, okay, so now what, what do rabbis do today that is, uh, that is basically what the Rambam says with Korbanot? Come to this shiur, it's for rufuash lema for so-and-so. Oh, okay, I wasn't going to go to that shiur, but now that I heard it's for rufuash lema for the person, I'm going to go. Right? In other words, um, uh, uh, so the, uh, the idea to connect the person's natural feeling that if I give something to God, I'm going to get closer to him and receive what I, uh, receive what I, what I want, the, the belief that they're giving something to God, they're sacrificing something. In that case, it might be their time or it might be their money or it might be any other uh, thing. You see this from Eov, of course. Eov brings korbanot all the time, you know, appeasing God and so on. Uh, because he's uh, because he believes that he has to stay on God's good side, um, and you know that's how he stays. Uh, he's going to maintain his his position. So for the person who is bringing a korban, uh, and uh, and is one of the ordinary folk, so that person is going to uh, is going to believe that he's coming and he's doing an honor to God and he's giving something to God. Um, he's sacrificing something to God. From the but that but the whole purpose ultimately of of engaging him on that level is ultimately to get him to a higher you know to a higher plane of comprehension of God. That's the starting point. The starting point is uh, the recognition that I owe something. My, I owe I owe my existence to God. I'm dependent on God. I'm a dependent existence, and not an absolute existence. That's the starting point of uh, uh, of avodat Hashem. And uh, and after that point, um, the you know further steps in the development uh, uh, of understanding can take place. But we start with that step. So we're addressing the person Bashir Usham, and it's something that's relevant even uh, even today. So um, the foundation of the world. It's a statement of of the natural um, the natural state of humanity. Right. He's also say, he also says in Pirkei uh, Avot that when it says Allah Torah Allah Avodah, it's talking about the korbanot. Yeah. Right. So it's like uh, Avodah means what subordinates my natural state and utilizes my natural state in the service of something higher, right? That's avodah. So, so the, the person, it's like uh, when we say, um, uh, uh, you know, when we say, um, let's say, karvenu la'avodatecha, right? Karvenu la'avodatecha, we say karvenu malkenu la'avodatecha, our king, because a king, in other words, when we say, Yahashivenu avinu letoratecha, avinu is my, our father. So that means naturally I'm attracted to those things. And that Torah is what will instruct me to have a good life. I'm naturally attracted to, uh, to, uh, good, to understanding things. I'm curious. I want to have a good life. So that's Hashivenu avinu. But then, Vikarvenu malkenu lavoratecha, malkenu melech is somebody have to subordinate my, my, my natural, uh, 
uh, you know, impulses to something. I have to, um, I have to overcome my uh, natural inclinations or channel my natural inclinations to, to the will of a superior. So, uh, whereas um, sometimes you could say, well, learning the wisdom of Torah can enable me to pursue my own goals and agenda more effectively because it gives me wisdom of life. Um, there's also the element that uh, my agenda and my plans might not be right. In other words, Malkenu means that God's plan is ultimately the true design. So to a certain extent, in other words, if you think about the difference in tefillah between Psukei de Zimra, which is praising God for all the good he does for us, right? Or Bachot, praising God for all the good he does for us. That's presupposing that doing good for me is a positive. Meaning it, it, it's coming to the realm of uh, relationship to God with the, uh, with the uh, first principle that my existence and my happiness is, of course, important. So if God is contributing to that, then I need to appreciate that, right? It's not asking what is the purpose of my existence. It's taking the purpose. It's saying that the, ver- the fact that God is good to me is uh, worthy of appreciation in and of itself, as opposed to birchot kriyat shema, the shema and the amidah, which is saying that actually, ultimately, God's design is far more, far, far broader than my existence and my interests. In fact, my interest and my existence has to be subordinated to something higher than that. That's avodat Hashem. That's a different realm. So, the, um, so of course, we always begin with the person's natural feeling that they are important and significant and they need to recognize their dependence on God and be grateful to God. But there's another level, which is um, to, to, to acknowledge that there's a design that's superior to my own. And that's the uh, that's where the um, where higher levels of understanding of God come in. So when a person comes to the korban because they feel guilty that they violated the Torah, they they're obligated to bring korban chatat, or they want to express their gratitude to God, or they want to simply honor God by bringing a korban. That is. Um, and that's why the Korban Olah, by the way, is the highest because um, the Korban Olah rec- is really just an acknowledgement of the transcendence of God. It's completely burnt. And, uh, and that's why Korban Olah is the, is the highest of the, of the Korbanot because it represents that, uh, that idea. But, the, um, but the, the Korbanot in general are an educational process and that's why they're only done by the Kohanim. If you think about it that way, they're only done by Kohanim. A person isn't given the permission to go and bring a korban anywhere they want, anytime they want, uh, on their own reconnaissance. They have to go through the system of the Beit HaMikdash. They have to go and interact with the Kohanim. They have to, uh, they have to uh, uh, go to the Beit HaMikdash, which is an, an educational institution. So they're not able to do it on their own because that would just descend into idolatry. Exactly what the Torah says, really. V'lo so they won't go to the demons that they're uh, sacrificing to out in the, uh, in the desert. They can only bring these offerings to God in one central location, right? Or it compares the idolatry. It says the Ovdei Avodah Zarah, they have Tachat Kol Anan, Al Harim V'Hagvaot. In every place you see that there, uh, there are altars of the idolatry, but we have only one place that we go to. Amakom Hashem Hashem. So the, it's structured to minimize my freedom in, the, in Korbanot so that it doesn't become a self-indulgent, idolatrous kind of an institution. 
um, it has to be in the framework of the Beit HaMikdash and under the auspices of the Kohanim. And thereby you can understand the story of Shmuel and why in the times of Shmuel the Jewish people had descended to such a level of depravity because the Kohanim themselves were so corrupt. Because the Kohanim were corrupt, so... Sons, right? Yeah, the sons of Eli had become corrupt. And the whole measure, uh, the whole, the only way for the Jewish people to attain Yediyat Hashem was through the, in, the instrumentality and the institution of the Mishkan, which sublimated their natural religious inclinations to the, to the end of the Torah, to be able to reach an understanding of Hashem, a true understanding of Hashem. And instead, that became part of a, uh, uh, a totally materialistic exchange where basically the person who brought the Korban felt that they appeased God by doing some magical ritual. And the priest, basically, I'll call them priests because that's what they were, they weren't Kohanim. The priest will take the meat and they're all about the money and the meat. So it's just like a, it's a totally, it's a farce. It's a, it has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with anything transcendent. It's a transaction based on selfishness on both sides. Okay? So that's why actually after the death of Eli, basically after the rise of Shemuel, Shiloh was destroyed. It was moved to Novan Givon after the, uh, after the, uh, uh, after that incident because it, the Shiloh was a disaster. Basically, Shiloh failed, right? It's um, it, it was a failed project, and so therefore had to move to a new location also under the time, during the times of Shmuel. So the uh, the um, and even the the Aaron didn't even come back. You know, there's a whole delay with the Aaron coming back until times of David. Yeah, so the, so the whole thing was that the, the educational mechanism was broken and so therefore, so therefore for a while the, whole, the role of the Kohanim was diminished and the, and the Navi took the place of the Kohen during the times of Shmuel to rehabilitate the people so that they would be worthy of having uh, David HaMelech and having a, uh, having a Beit HaMikdash again. You also see who was the person who actually built the Beit HaMikdash? The greatest of the Chachamim and the greatest educator in Jewish history which is Shlomo HaMelech. Because from an educational perspective, he was even greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Because he was the one who was able to, what the Chazal says, what he did was, it's like the Torah was a deep well, and he made ropes to lower the bucket to take the water out of the well. That's one of the metaphors they give for uh, Shlomo HaMelech. And, uh, there are a bunch of other metaphors that, they, you know, that's like a, going into a labyrinth, and he put signposts to help the person get through the labyrinth or whatever. All these different metaphors go to the same point. That, um, that he, was the, he was able to make the Torah accessible to the Hamon Am. So it's no accident that that person who made the Torah accessible to the Hamon Am was the person who built the Beit HaMikdash. Because it's exactly the same thing. It's, it's exactly the same thing. So that, without that, without making the Torah accessible to, uh, to human beings at the level where they are, in other words, if it remained an abstract, the Rambam talks about it in that section about the Korbanot also, if the Torah were to remain just a theoretical discipline for the elite people who are great philosophers, then the rest of humanity would be lost. This, uh, so, so this, number one, provides a path for every person to be able to access knowledge of God. But it's more than that. If you think about it, um, if you think about it, the culture, okay, the culture that for 99% of Jews might lead them to a simplistic Judaism, which is not very sophisticated and not very profound, right? Let's say they don't learn more in Nebuchadnezzar. Let's say they don't get to the death. 
That, but so ninety nine percent of them have a basic emuna, hopefully in the basics of Judaism. Okay, they live according to that. What happens because there's a culture like that? Because there's a culture like that, there's a Jacob Akimi, and there's a Bensi, and there's a Jordan. In other words, that culture is what allows the individuals to emerge who have the understanding that's more advanced. Without that culture, you'd have to wait for the next Avraham Avinu, which could take a thousand years, two thousand more years to... Uh, and of course, God has no, uh, God has no um, a timeline, so it doesn't matter to him. You know, Elif Shanim Benecha is like uh, one day. So to him, okay, wait another few thousand years, no problem. I'll, I'll destroy the Jewish people. Uh, and I'll make you Moshe Rabbeinu we'll start over again it'll take another couple hundred years it's what is that to God nothing right so the, the point is for the, another Avram Avinu to emerge would be necessary instead the promise to Avram Avinu was that I'm going to make you a great na- your children a great nation and what did he say how do I know my children will inherit it and what does the Chazal say that the answer is? And, and then Hashem says, bring me all these korbanot, right? This is Brit Ben Abitarim. I hope you guys remember this, right? I haven't been there for a month, but you didn't forget Brit Ben Abitarim, right? So, 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 the, uh, so what he tells him, bring the korbanot. And what did the Chazal say? Oh, in the zechut of the korbanot, the, your children will be saved. Did you ever notice that, Chazal? Interesting. Yeah, so what does it mean? It means that it will give them away. Because what was Avraham Avinu's real problem? Avram Avinu's problem, we've talked about it before, is that I am Avram Avinu. He knew who he was. Right? Right. You think there's going to be a million people that are going to be Avram Avinu? It's not realistic. Right? It's not realistic. So what happens? So therefore what? So therefore you have to have a, uh, a system that will relate to the common per- people that will enable them to, to engage in a, a process of growth. And, that, and if you look at the way the korbanot are structured, number one, obviously, the fact that the kohanim are supposed to be involved and it has to be in the Beit HaMikdash. But, uh, and, and the Sefer HaChinuch talks about it in many places that all the mitzvot that, re- that require aliyat Yerushalayim are in order to enable the person to engage with the chachamim and the kohanim that are present in Yerushalayim all the time. It's a, it's a tachbula, basically. But it's a, it's a trick to get people to come. You have to only eat this in Yerushalayim, and you have to only bring this to Yerushalayim. It's a way to get the people to come. Uh, if you think of it as, an, as a retreat or a convention, the Aliyah Regel is like a convention every year that the people come to, to basically, to give them, you know, to reconfirm and reestablish their relationship and their clarity in the, uh, in the derech that they're going on. Um, and, the, uh, and of course, the highest point of that is in the... Uh, is in the Hakel, where they read the Torah with the whole thing. So the, you know, after every seven years, they have the Hakel uh, ritual where they read the Torah. It's, it's all revolving around reconnecting to their roots, but Yerushalayim and the Bet HaMikdash, the, the actual Avodah of the Bet HaMikdash was never the focus of any individual's uh, Avodah Hashem. But the fact that there's such a culture, so it says that when the Navi would go to an Aliyah the Regal, he would have his Nivu'ah in the Beit HaMikdash because it would inspire him, right? So, or when the, when the on, on Sukkot, when they would have Simchat Beit HaShoevah, the Chachamim would be the ones juggling and dancing and throwing torches and doing all these like um, tricks, you know, it talks about the Masechet Sukkot at the end. Um, and the Rambam brings it. He says that the Hamon Am wasn't allowed to participate in that. It was only the Chachamim and the Gedolei Israel that were allowed to do it. Everyone else could only watch. 
Meaning what? Meaning this was an opportunity for the Gdolim to show the people what the joy is of the true Eved Hashem. So they could aspire to that. So they could aspire to that. See, so that so that this was an educational opportunity. They're not dancing and doing backflips and juggling torches just for fun. I mean, maybe they had fun. I don't want to. I don't want to judge them, but they uh, maybe they did. But um, but they were trying to exhibit to the people this is the true joy in the language that the people could understand. In other words, you see a person doing backflips and happy and part. So to you, you might say, well, that guy's not really happy. That guy's just uh, that guy's just playing around. Not really, that's not the true joy. That might be that might be accurate. But to the Hamon Am to see that this is how the Chachamim feel before Hashem, or like David Melech Mecharker Lefnei Hashem when he's dancing like crazy, and then his wife gets upset and says, ah, oh, you know, what kind of a king are you? You're so great, you go dancing like you're a busha that the king of Israel would act, you know, in this way. Remember the story of Michal, when David danced in front of the Aaron, famous story. So that story is David trying to show the people the joy in Avodat Hashem. It's an educational opportunity to inspire the people. This is what the whole Bet HaMikdash, the whole thing is about. Why do the Kohanim not get involved with the dead and they don't get involved, aside from the fact that it's related to Avodah Zohar. There's an idea of Ivduat Hashem besimcha that the people see that being an Ebed Hashem is something honorable and something joyful and something desirable, then they're going to want to do it. So the, so the, the point is that in the, uh, in the, the Beit HaMikdash is the vehicle for providing uh, knowledge to the people to guide them along the path. But more than that, it also enables there to emerge a person like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Okay, in order for them to be, like he said, he, the Rambam quotes it in this chapter too, where he says, The people who actually achieve true knowledge of God are very few. And, and, what is, and, and the Chazal goes on to say, Right, if there's only two, it's me and my son. Right? So the uh, meaning to say that the number, or like the Rambam's famous analogy in Perush Mishnah, that's a very neglected work, it's Akdamata the Perush Mishnah. And the Perush Mishnah in general, because he also works into there so many philosophical things that you, you that are really are very deep. Um, we actually learned one of them in Israel uh, two years ago, almost, and we learned in the Perush Mishnah one of them like, that he hides a secret in there. But he says, you know, he talks there about how an entire society could exist and and flourish for hundreds of years and then be destroyed just so a tzaddik could sit down in the shade of one of the ruins and think about an idea. Meaning, what, what difference does it make to God that the Roman Empire rose and, you know, had all these material things and now it's gone, so what? So what? what did it do? Nothing. But the, the tzaddik was walking by and he needed to sit down. Rabbi Hanina bin Dosa needed to sit down and think about some metaphysical truth for a moment. That was worth all of that society live, existing for hundreds of years, right? So I'm not saying that that's the same thing as the Jewish people, but the, because Kol Yisrael which the Rambam is, uh, which as the guy... Um, I forgot his name, uh, Ellie Goodman explained. Uh, he explains in his book that the whole purpose of the 13 principles, I love what he said there, he said was to explain how the Hamon Am can have a chilek laulam Because they can have the fundamental principles of truth to frame their, their experience. Right? So, so he, uh, and that's why it's in the passage where he explains the 13, uh, the 13 principles is uh, in the passage where it talks about it was a very nice approach but I think it's a great approach but the idea is that and he actually the Rambam alludes to that in this chapter too a little bit later on but the main point that I'm saying is that 
they, that it also creates a culture in which B'nai Aliyah, so to speak, as Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai called it, can emerge. Because there is a culture of this nature, the Rambam can emerge. Because there's a culture of this nature, Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, or you know, whoever it is who are going to be the great thinkers, they can only emerge because of a culture that promotes certain ideals. And even though 99% of the people may not achieve those bepoal, uh, they, they at least um, are part of a, uh, a, a society that enables it to happen, that serves as a platform for that. And so if you think about, look at science, uh, uh, you can see that in any area. Science waited hundreds of years for Newton to emerge, thousands actually, for Newton to emerge. Cause he, could he have emerged with no scientific discipline or field of study before him? No, of course not. But thousands of scientists who worked in the field before him are forgotten by history. Or the same with Einstein. Or the same with anybody who is the uh, a premier uh, a representative of their field. What? Yeah, they set the stage for, for it to emerge. It has to be, even for Moshe Rabbeinu to emerge, he wasn't Avraham Avinu. He wouldn't have emerged without Avraham Avinu. Even he says, Avraham Right? So in other words, even Moshe Rabbeinu, what he had came because only of the, because of the Avot. He, he didn't have the foundation he recognized came from the We never say in the Tefillah, Magen Moshe. We, we say Magen Avraham. With, with, so, so it's all dependent on that what created the circumstance in which a knowledge of God could emerge was the culture of the Jewish people. That's why it said, that's the meaning of the Midrash, that Hashem went to all the nations to offer them the Torah, and the Arabs said, no, it says this, and then B'nai Esav said, no, it says this, and then they came to the Jewish people and they said, Nasev Nishma. What it means is that it's cultural, that the reason why the Jewish people were able to receive the Torah was because it was a culture that would be receptive to the ideas of the Torah. It requires a certain setting and context. Or think about what we say in the tefillah. I know I keep going back to the tefillah, but you underestimate how much philosophical depth there is in the Sidur, actually. Right? What does Yismechu v'malchutach mean? Yismechu v'malchutach... Yeah. A person will rejoice in your kingship, Right? Shomrei Shabbat v'korei oneg. The people who call the Shabbat oneg, right? Shomrei Shabbat v'korei oneg. The people who consider the Shabbat a pleasure, meaning they consider the reflection on God's creation to be a pleasure, those people really rejoice in your kingdom, right? But then it says what? Am mekadeshei shevi'i yisbe'u v'itanugum mituvach. The nation that sanctifies the Shabbat they will enjoy and be satisfied from your goodness. In other words, they have a good life, but it doesn't say yismechu v'malchutach. That's a higher level. Yismechu v'malchutach is the person whose real joy is in Yidiyat Hashem, v'malchutach seeing God, the design that God put in creation. That's the real joy of Shabbat. The people also enjoy Shabbat. You don't think the regular average guy with Shomer Shabbat, he enjoys it? He does. He enjoys Shabbat. It allows him to enjoy mituvosh ala kadosh baruch 
They feel satisfied. It gives them a balance in life. They enjoy what they have. They're thankful for what they have. It gives them perspective in life. They recognize that there's, there are things that are more important than work and money and things like that. It's healthy for them. They reflect. They, they gain some wisdom. They, go to, they, get, they get some inspiration. They go to a drasha that uh, you know, moves them to make their life more meaningful and make their more, life have more depth. They appreciate all of the goodness that comes from it. They wouldn't be yismechu malchutach because yismechu malchutach. It's like what the, what the Rambam's son says in the beginning of Hamaspik Lo Avdei Hashem. He talks about how every mitzvah has different levels you can keep it on. It's a very good chapter to read. Everyone should read that. The Akdama of Hamaspik Lo Avdei Hashem. It's so important because he talks about how every mitzvah has multiple levels and he uses Shabbat as an example. One guy just keeps Shabbat. You know? One guy keeps Shabbat and also learns, and one guy learns the uh, you know learns also specifically he learns about what happened on each day of the creation. You know he, he he shows, and then finally there's a person who gets so involved in the reflection on God's creation that he doesn't even eat or drink on Shabbat. He just wants to think about the, you know to immerse himself in Yidiat Hashem. Now I'm not so sure about halachically why 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 that would be okay, but you know, but you know, but, but whatever. That wasn't even the point. I guess he eats something, but he doesn't mean he starves. But the point is that he he's saying that the person that's what it and 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 if you look at the beginning of the tefillah, Yismach Moshe b'matanat chelkoki eved neman karatalo. What does it mean? Yismach Moshe. It means the greatest happiness for a person is when they have the highest level of yidiat Hashem. And therefore, their whole existence conforms to that. Their whole existence is drawn to that. What do we say? In other words, the same thing. We yearn for that same, the individuals who are really able to get to the level of which is what the Rambam's son says is really the goal of Shabbat. That's a true joy. The average people will also have enjoyment, but not mituvach. From the goodness that they receive, they appreciate it and it will enrich their lives. But it's not bimalchutach. In other words, their enjoyment is still an enjoyment of the self. It's still an enjoyment related to the quality of their life being improved. It's not an enjoyment related to the recognizing the insignificance of their life and, and, and the significance of something else. This is a different level. You understand? But the whole point, the reason why we got on this, this is like a totally uh, whatever, but that's the way it goes in anything. Um, it's all interconnected. You just see that everything's interconnected. And the reason why I like to bring up the Sidur is because then when you, can, when you, when you pray, you, you have these ideas to think about. So if you think that everything is interconnected, so you know that, so therefore the whole concept of the Korbanot, or really of mitzvot in general, but let's say of the Korbanot in particular, is to guide the people towards a path that points to something higher, that uses their natural inclination towards things like Korbanot to point them to a higher Thing will everybody reach that? No, but everyone hopefully will progress along the path. They'll progress along the path, and some yichidei segula will actually reach the highest level because they exist in a culture of Torah and of avodah and of the whole thing. Because of that, there will be a Rebbe Akiva. Because of that, there will be all of these great people. They wouldn't have existed without that. So, the, so the um, so you have that educational process, and of that educational. Uh, curriculum, just like any other good curriculum, how many people emerge from an excellent university curriculum to become a pioneer in their field? One in a million, one in a hundred thousand, I don't know. Right? So it's the same thing. The same thing. The curriculum, you could say, 
our whole program, its existence is justified because we produced uh, one great, you know, this one great individual came from. Okay, you know, that sort of thing. But the fact that it provides some access to, the, to that growth to many, many people is mechastei Hashem, basically, to every individual that they can, mechastei Hashem, that, that he, you know, he gives the opportunity and the, uh, he guides the person away from Avodah and as much as possible towards uh, uh, the Data Emet and, uh, and, and only the Yechidei Segula anyway are going to really uh, have the ultimate understanding. So in terms of the future, based on what you were saying, there's no reason for it to really stop. No. Meaning, there would be no... This reality that the Hamon Am uh, need this course of education and the fact that it points to higher things which people, you know, there will be certain Yechidei Segula that can, you know, take it a step further in whatever way. That's not going to change. Even... Even if the ship was to come, that's not going to change. Right, you have to understand. Right, it's not even it's not even cultural. It's 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 nature. I was going to say, if you take away the cultural aspect, that's a whole separate. Right, it's not even the need for it is right. The need for it is not cultural. The need for it is inherent. Right now, matter of culture, not culture, it's a separate argument. Right, the concept of needing a system like Korbanot. Never is eternal die. because it's built into human nature, basically. And this is the four. It's like all chukim and all realms of chukim. The chok is the form of the chok is dependent upon you know gzerat at the time of the giving of the Torah. That's the that's the the chok. The nature of a chok is that the deep the form is not a hundred percent reducible to the function. That's a way of thinking of the chok. In other words, a chok means that the purpose that it serves and its form are not reducible to one another. So you can have that purpose of a uh, uh, of let's say educating mankind towards Yidiyat Hashem, and the form that it took was dependent upon the form at the time that the Torah was given. But that's 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 simply the way in which Hashem. Uh, formulated it because that was the way that the people received it at the time and perhaps if Hashem had uh, given the Torah today it would have had a different form because the form the authority of the form of a chok comes from the will of God it doesn't come from the uh, it doesn't come from the function of the chok it has a function and it has a purpose but its form is a shell that is uh, that is um, it's like lahavdil you know the fact that the uh, let's say the speed limit is 55 miles an hour is a chok. It's based on the idea of safety and, uh, and preserving life and preventing accidents or whatever. You can't directly go from that to 55 miles an hour, but you understand the spirit in which it was created. And then there's a chok that now you can argue and say, well, I was only going 65. I wasn't really endangering anybody. Why'd you pull me over you know, to the police officer? But, but since he's enforcing a chok, he's not going to listen to that. Right? Actually, Ellie Goodman talks about this point in his book brilliantly in the book also. He brilliantly addresses that subject of a chok and makes it very, very clear. The, I mean, it, what I'm saying now, um, I would have probably said before, but maybe not as clearly without his, uh, his formulations because he, um, he, uh, uh, he, he really hit the nail on the head with that also, what a chok is and how there are so many chokim in society. 
Meaning, he, uh, I always used to use the traffic example, but he used other examples I can't remember right now, but he used a bunch of different examples to illustrate how chukim, everything in our society is a chok. May almost everything has a certain purpose, but at the end of the day, we reduce it to a form that's fixed. And, uh, and that's what the Torah does. So in that case, in that way, it's a chok. So, so instead of changing the form, we, we have to understand the function and, and abide by the form. So the koban, yeah, it doesn't fit as much with today's, um, today's uh, cultural experience. But if a person understands the idea behind it, they'll be able to observe it and, uh, and gain benefit from it. Uh, there's a lot more to korbanot. I, we could go into that another time. I'd be happy to do a shiur on just on the meaning of the korbanot. I think we had planned to do it at one time. We never I'm did. So sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry that I steered off. No, no, because actually what you're saying is exactly what he's talking about here. Because he says that a he says a person's. Um, I mean, it's really the third thing. But he, he says first that a person is only perfect, perfect in potentia, not in actuality, and a person could stay limited either because of external factors or internal factors, right? Either because of distractions or because of, uh, uh, they come from the outside or inner distractions. And that's why he says, In other words, that's, that's part, part of what we're saying is that not everyone is going to achieve the point of actualization of their potential. That's number one. Number two is that there is a long process of getting to that point, which is the Sibash Lishit that he's going to talk about next. But we'll, we'll probably stop here, but we'll, Pick up there, but the idea is very important that the purpose of the Torah is to provide this educational path, which for those individuals, the B'nai Aliyah, that's going to enable them to achieve the greatest heights of their perfection um, to, for those who are able to do so. And for those who are not able to do so, it will at the very least give them a better life, a superior life, and will pave the way for those who want to achieve more and who are able to achieve more. Right. So, sin, so he says first of so, but just to summarize the first two points. Number one was that the depth of the subject, and number two is the fact that people are are only potentially, in other words, um, they are are in a state of potentia when they start out. They're not in a they're not in a state of actuality in terms of their intellect, and therefore to start with this would not be appropriate because the person has not yet developed. Uh, their inner capacity for thought to the level necessary to understand the ideas that are in the realm of metaphysics. And that's why he says that a person is born, he quotes the Pasuk from Eov, a person is born as a wild donkey. In other words, you know, the, the person is just uh, instinctual and, uh, and without an, a, uh, a concerted effort and a removal of distractions the individual won't be won't have their mind developed to the level that they're even able of compre- able to comprehend. That's separate from the steps necessary to achieve comprehension. Meaning, first of all, the mind has to be in a state where it can uh, where it's capable of grasping the ideas, and then you have to actually take the initiative to pursue it. That's that's what he's going to say in the Sibashti sheet. So, Bezrat Hashem will do that. I would like. I have to go to Shacharit now. So, I, and you guys have to go to bed. You guys have to go to bed, except for Jordan, who's got a few more hours of. Uh, Work at and well, I. I, I me, I'm in the West Coast. Oh, you're still early. 